I'm Logan, and this is Automatic for the People. It's automatic, it's automatic, it's automatic. Hey everybody, welcome back to Automatic for the People, a Legion podcast for one last time, finally. Um, I'm getting around to putting up the Legion panel from Dragon Con from 2019. It's been about a month <laughs> since Dragon Con. Um, but uh, Preacher, new work schedule, lots of stuff. Uh, just I've not had time to, to sit down and do it, unfortunately. Uh, I get sidetracked with other things. But uh, Jess, uh, our friend in Atlanta, she was uh, at the... Uh, legion panel uh co-hosted it recorded it uh the audio is well the audio is what the audio is um uh we love this show uh we're gonna miss this show i love talking about it with her i'm so glad that she got to be part of this and kind of got uh in 2018 got shoehorned into it and found another show that 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 she loved so uh enjoy this uh we'll be back later this week with mr robot stuff um uh gonna be a week filled with episodes of this podcast so hopefully you all enjoy that uh, i might be doing a solo episode based on uh not based on uh talking briefly about all of the uh the stuff we have as we uh get ready for Mr. Robot tomorrow. So, uh, early in the morning, I'll be, might be throwing up a, like, uh, episode talking about all the teasers, the trailers, uh, all the stuff we've seen. So anyway, uh, at Mr. Robot podcast, Mr. Robot podcast at gmail.com. Um, and go check out all our, all our stuff over at xwingfiles.com and we'll see you soon. Hey everybody, it is one o'clock and it is time for us to start talking about Legion. Those of you who are confused, you are at Legion switching it up. And uh, I have a couple pieces of housekeeping. We're going to introduce our panel today and then we will get to the serious business of discussing Legion. So my couple pieces of housekeeping. First of all, the uh, Dragon Cons charity this year is the American Heart Association. We love the American Heart Association and normally we would have a bucket for you to make a little donation to that wonderful organization. We are bucketless right now. So uh, find a bucket sometime during the con or come on back to the track because later today we think we're going to have buckets. Please, please consider making a donation this weekend to the American Heart Association. That was my commercial for today. Uh, second piece of housekeeping is uh, you probably have a wonderful Dragon Con app, which makes all of our lives so much better. One of the things you can do with that app is to rate the panels that you attend. So please rate us today. It really helps to give this track feedback and give the con feedback about the programs and panels you love. Uh, hopefully love and not, not love, but hey. Uh, so uh, today we are here to talk about Legion. The housekeeping is done. So let's start by introducing our panelists. And I'm going to pick on you, Jess. I am Jess Combs. I am a podcaster. Uh, that is my claim to fame, if you will. Um, I do a Legends of Tomorrow podcast called Tomorrow's Legends. And I also podcasted about Legion this past season on a podcast entitled Automatic for the People. It's normally a Mr. Robot podcast, but we did Legion. 
Hi, my name's Rachel, but I write under R.E. Carr. So I'm the vampire writer who also lets superheroes in from time to time. And I have a new book, Second String Savior, that I am obliged to plug because I'm at a con. And that's about it. Cool. Hey, folks, my name is Davier Snipes. I'm an uh, uh, actor, uh, voice actor in town, theater, film actor as well. I've worked 10 years in New York off-Broadway. I work here locally with the Alliance Theater at Ceremony Playhouse and Vanguard Repertory Theater. Uh, I have uh, featured roles on uh, BET's American Soul and in the independent film Games, and also I'm a Peabody Award-winning uh, voice actor for my uh, work on the NPR podcast Buried Truths, with seasons one and two are now on NPR.org. My name is Father Brian Small. I'm an actual, real-life Catholic priest. That's my day job. I've got a congregation, a parish about 20 minutes from here. This is year 11 or 12, doing panels for Dragon Con. Uh, thoroughly enjoy it. So always glad to be back. Uh, thank you, all of you. And I am nobody of particular importance. My name is Well, you're somebody. you're somebody. You're somebody. I, I am somebody. somebody. I... I, I uh, the only importance I have here is that I am kind of the panel police, so I'll be helping make sure we keep time today and, and we can all hear each other, all good. So uh, let me just start the panel out with a general question, which is this, uh, and that is that uh, we've had three seasons of Legion, it has finished its story, and I would like for our panelists to say in general, what are your impressions? It was a very twisty story, um, and in some ways one that subverted a lot of tropes as it went along. So what are your general impressions about how you feel about this story as it played out? I love how everyone looks at the writer first, like, <laughs> oh, she's got to start. Okay. Um, well, I love the story of Legion. I feel like it's almost the most right brain show ever written. It plays with time, it plays with an unreliable narrator. And I love, for the first time ever, I felt like I was watching a superhero show and I was seeing stuff I'd never seen before. I found performances that were true, I got surprised. I mean, I write for a living. It's really hard to surprise anymore. And I like the fact that they dared to do something different. Was it perfect? No, but you can't be perfect when you're trying to be different. And I really applauded a show that made me feel and go through the entire journey. And I'm really happy actually that they did just three seasons because you can't be that crazy, that out there, because eventually you're gonna repeat yourself. Eventually it's gonna be wrote. So I love the fact that they took the time to basically write three arcs, two of them great, one of them slightly problematic, but they tried. And I can't wait to talk about more in detail. Yeah, I, I also thought that it, it was it was a crazy ride. It was it was really satisfying for me. I agree with what you said about the performances. Uh, some of the most phenomenal acting I have seen in a show. And I appreciate that they gave it three seasons because I think they had an objective from start to finish. And we can argue with exactly how they got there, but I do think that ultimately they achieved what they were trying to achieve. And 
it, it was always going to have a limited time frame because, you know, if, if you know anything about the comics, or believe me, I know very little about Legion in the comics, but I, do, <laughs> but I do know that he is a villain. So when you start presenting someone as a hero, albeit an unreliable one, and you know he has to transition to villain, I feel like there's only so far you can go. But I felt that it was a satisfying arc overall. Yeah, I think those of us uh, who love creative work, uh, I think we're all a little bit lesser now that this show is gone because I think it was easily one of the most not only creative but daring shows on television and I thought it examined a genre that we all think we know from an entirely different perspective that we hadn't seen from a perspective that's incredibly complex and layered that shows how characters change over time um, and I, 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 it was you, and to see a show that where you never know what you're going to get from episode to episode is thrilling. Like, how many times do we get to have a show like that where every time you sit down, you don't know what's coming? And and, and much like a show like Firefly that a lot of us love that died after one season, I think with this having a finite ending, it kind of will help it live on in a lot of different ways that maybe it wouldn't have if it continued. So, yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a special ride. I'm glad you know, the fans are here. I've got to take that ride with it. I love watching the show. I still can't tell you what it's about, but I love watching <laughs> it. Um, I make the parallel not in form, but in uh, structure to uh, Matthew Weiner's uh, Mad Men, because Mad Men yes. was not about the story. The story was secondary to Mad Men. Mad Men was about the environment and the ethos that was created that you as the, the viewer were invited to sit in, and this, then the story came almost in a secondary fashion. And I think this was some ways very similar in that every episode, even if you're watching Stone Cold Sober, 20, 30 minutes into it, you don't feel Stone Cold Sober. <laughs> but that's the gift, that's, that's the power of the artistry. And in every episode, I feel like I'm in a modern art museum. And, but the way they draw you in, into that world, into that environment, and then they kind of you know, sort of play in it. I thought it was interesting, like if you go to Wikipedia and look up Legion, like the first sentence, he is the son of Charles Xavier. And, and the, so you don't even get to that until the last episode, the second to last episode of the first season. Yeah. I mean, that's a very... The greatest sorry. exposition episode yeah. ever. Like, every writer can learn how to do exposition from mm -hmm. Legion. <laughs> so again, just the, it's very conventional, and it doesn't apologize. It doesn't apologize for the fact that you can't get it. And I can watch the same episode two or three times, and it's just, again, it's like being in an art museum. When you see nuances and layers you know, of a painting again and again and again, and again, the performances, uh, Dan Stevens, Gene Smart, everybody was just absolutely on point. I still can't tell you what it's about, but I loved it. Well, but to go along with that, though, I think in regards to like the complex complexities of the show you know i do think it's a show that you can follow but i think the beauty of it is it has so much in the details of it that it's one of these shows you can keep going back to because yeah. there's always a surprise to it because there's so many things that you learn like in the background of scenes or with characters names that that kind of like the more kind of you watch it and pick up things here and there and the more as you grow things will have different relevances to you i think that's what makes that show special and so genius in just how it's constructed. A lot of rewatchability. Yes. That's what I was just about to say. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Sorry, psychic. Sorry, <laughs> Jess. Cool. Mm -hmm. So, uh, one thing that I'm struck by listening to you all is 
you're you you're pretty satisfied. Like the show could only go so far, and yet you know some folks are struck by the fact that there were a lot of plot threads laying loose. Now that might be because people couldn't quite say what it was about, and there wasn't always the best narrative coherence. <laughs> but uh, there were. You all seem to feel like they had a mission, they fulfilled it, and you don't seem to be too upset by the plot threats that were unresolved. I'm wondering about you all out here. Did you feel the same way? Is, uh, is there anybody here who was unsatisfied and really wanted to see this uh, go on to a fourth season because you were not satisfied? Oh, not, okay. not that it should go to a fourth season, but you know, like we said, like someone said earlier, we know Legion is a villain, and so I was expecting the ending to be how mm. he became the villain instead of oh, let's hit the reset button. Mm. Well, but he became the villain at the end of season one, arguably. Yeah. yeah, right in the back. Necessarily, he was a clear-cut villain. I think that's what makes the comics and the show so interesting because he is an unreliable narrator, and you don't know if he's a villain or if you don't know he's good. You don't know if he's crazy, so you don't know if the voices are actual mutants that he's hearing or if it's his own psychosis. So labeling him as a clear villain, I think, could be a little bit problematic because Legion is much more complicated than that. But I think one of the reasons why it was cut short, honestly, is because of the pushback that they got the season before with the interaction with Sid yeah. and the interaction that he had that some people claimed that he um, violated her without her consent. So if you look at a lot of fans, it was a lot of pushback. And I think because of that particular arc of the story, it kind of forced them to wrap up. So what do you all think about that? Because my understanding that Legion was supposed to go on much long, longer than it did, but this kind, and that's probably why it has so many threads that were left undone, because of this rush conclusion. Well, for me, I, I, I think once the Disney-Fox merger happened, uh, Legion was was dead on the shelf because yeah. there was no mm-hmm. way. I don't think Disney would would have had any idea what to do with a show like that. So <laughs> no, it, it, no. It, 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 it was dead once that merger happened. So even if it they did have those plans, as long as I was there, yeah. there's no right at Disney. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's the unfortunate thing. So I, I mean, to, to 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 talk to your point earlier, I I I'm happy where it did end, but yeah, I still would have liked to have seen more because it's such a fascinating world, and there are some things, more things that we can do. But when you've got to end, I think okay with what they did, uh, uh, I, I was okay with that closure. There's also something you said about knowing when to walk away. Mm-hmm. Like I love the first four seasons of Supernatural. It has maybe repeated a little. Just a, just a little, but you there are know, some cyclical themes. Cyclical themes, very, very good. I, I do love your point because I will say that once you go to the point like, let's face it, David Holler was a villain at the end of season two. He did violates it without her consent. It's uncomfortable, it's horrible, but I think because they never judged and said there was anything apologetic about it, while it upset me, I think it was a story to tell because you can't always shy away from something uncomfortable and I applaud them for trying. I mean, it's so easy to just go, let's not talk about anything bad, let's not talk about anything uncomfortable. To give a chance that somebody, even if you can't save him, 
to still offer an opportunity that there might be a way to come back to save, that there is another timeline, there's another chance. It's a powerful motive because even if you've done something irredeemable and you are a villain, you're not always a villain. There might be another path. You know, I kind of, I had a moment after that moment. There was a moment where older Sid was talking to younger Sid. And as, as as a man, it made me see something in a whole different way when she said, he turned me around. Yeah, oh, that, that line, that line kind of made that whole story, that whole arc, it, it's fall together for me. To be honest, that was yeah. kind of a villainous moment in Sid's childhood. She, yeah, yeah, well, there's she plenty was of villainy doing something around. bad, but something worse yeah, happened to her. I mean, there's one at a time, folks. Yeah. <laughs> we want to hear everybody, so let's yeah. not collar over each other. Well, well, here's here's the great thing about like. This this whole this whole adventure that we've been on is is no one is a clear cut hero and no one is a clear cut villain, and they they very very much did not shy away from dealing with the more pressing issues, especially with you know all of the issues in the last few years that have come out in Hollywood. Yeah, um, that is tough. Yeah, it's it's very tough, and I think that as difficult of a topic as it is to discuss and to realize that it is truly going on and to understand that from both perspectives, I thought they did a good job in portraying it as a gray area, where it's very difficult, especially as a woman, to see that as not being black and white. And I think for men, it's also on the other side, not as you know it i think they did a good job of kind of saying hey like even though you think this is black and white maybe it is not like a great issue from like a should it be happening but just like a how perception yeah a perception perspective and i think that's what this show has always done well is it's taken on perception and um, kind of played with that and played with those more complex themes. And no one sees themselves as a villain. Exactly. If you're telling a villain story you can't. I'm kind of excited about the Joker film coming yes. up because of Legion, because maybe we can have some moments to see what makes a villain a villain. Even if you don't agree with them and you don't endorse them, just seeing how it happens helps you understand. Because if you're horrified by something, that's good if they're villains. Well, and the question is, is like, you know, to the earlier uh, point, is like, what really makes someone a villain? Like what? I mean, what? What does that term even really mean? Because yeah. for the people that were in David's commune who didn't see him as a villain, who saw him as a savior, then it's all about your perspective. And then, so who? So basically, what makes someone a hero or a villain is all shaped by the perspe- uh, the perception or the perspective of a particular individual. And I think that's what this what what makes this show so complex is it's all in how you see these things. Because you know, for David, it's kind of like. You know, it, it's it's the Thanos similarity. It, it's I think what I'm doing is for the greater good. And what David and when that David has that scene with Switch where he said, "No, I'll just I'll just read people's minds," and she says to him, "But what about trust?" And he's like, "Not tried that. I think this is better." And it's just yeah. the concept of sure, someone can look at that and say that's evil, but another person can say, "Well, is is that justified?" And that's that's the complexity. Well, it's utilitarianism. Do the ends justify the means? And the answer is as long as I win, or as long as a perceived greater good is procured. But again, that's arbitrary. I mean, look at Thomas Jefferson. That's a complicated historical figure. Didn't think we'd go there with Legion, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, no, it, it works. Yeah, anything can happen with Legion. We, we shouldn't bar anything. Back there. 
to what you said at the beginning that he's a villain. I know nothing about the comics. I I can accept that he was a villain. I thought the whole three seasons was a redemption story, and then now at the end, he doesn't have King Farouk in his head. He's going to grow up with a loving, present father instead of Xavier being absent. Mm -hmm. So baby David is now going to be a good kid. Or is he? Yeah. Or, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. yeah. Just be a good boy. It's a chance, and that's that's a lot. But I guess one thing is, we know he'll be a different David. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he'll definitely be a different David, especially because, and they really hammered it home in season three with him kind of always having that mantra of, I deserve to be loved. I'm a good person. Yeah. I deserve it. And I deserve it. And I, I feel like that's an incredibly sad that someone has to continue trying to convince themselves that they've lived such a horrible childhood that they have to continue to convince themselves they deserve to be loved. Because that, because to that point, that's why it's, it's so hard for me to call David a villain flat out because he had his life taken from him by something that was truly villainous so we think I mean Farouk literally destroyed his life so that he never had a chance to be who he could have been and so to have him be at this point in his life where he's basically saying all I want to do is just have a chance to live it's like how can we as people fault someone for that like I never got my chance so am I really a villain for trying to have my chance to live? But what does he hurt getting his chance? Like, because also, if he didn't live that life, Farouk wouldn't have been redeemed. Because him taking it finally made him realize that he could change. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not good or bad or who deserves, it's a lot of deserving and wants and desires and just change can people fundamentally change and that's i think what the ending asks and at what cost to, yes. to your what point cost? it's like what i mean because change always comes with the cost because it's a journey and so what are the what are the things that we're losing or that what are the costs of that journey for our for ourselves to have our change how many people like i was gonna yeah. say when they said does it hurt when you fade away like how many people just got hit in the gut by that line yeah it's interesting that 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 topic ties into the mental health aspect of it too. You know, a person with mental health can sometimes do things that appear villainous that they're not really intending that way. Or, and it's a sign of more brokenness than, than villainy, uh, vindictiveness, yeah. or maliciousness. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point. And um, mental health is another you know big issue that I think this it's a very difficult topic to tackle and to present respectfully, and I think the show did a decent mm -hmm. job with that. Mm -hmm. Did you have a comment? Yeah, um, I just wanted to like comment on the fact, like, one of the things I really appreciated, appreciated about the show was that it kept this, of course, it was a very unreliable narrator, and I wasn't ever really sure about what was going on, but because of that, it kind of lent to like the overall feeling of humanity. Like, I know I was watching a show with super-powered people, but I never felt like I couldn't relate to them even though they were so extraordinary especially with like the mental health um, there's definitely confronting that and like what it means and how it affects people how it affects other people's lives and this and also I really love the fact that like David he had such a complicated arc obviously the show is him um, but I never felt like he was like this destined one or this chosen one I felt like he was just a guy that was born in some really horrible circumstances with some powers that really complicated his life and he was just navigating this extraordinary life. He wasn't like a destined one or a chosen one. So I it was that. total subversion of the trope. The usual like, oh yeah, this is the special one. He was like, uh. And I don't think just any actor could have done that. 
Yeah. I think it was a real testament to Dan Stevens. Yeah, I think when you're talking about the villainy, too, you have to. The show really is a mirror for Rook and Legion, and they they travel the opposite journey. And I remember at the end of the second season, you just like, oh, now they just trust Farouk. Farouk has done some mm-hmm. very horrible things. <laughs> yes, and yeah, plenty. He just trusts, but I think it, it gets brought home where he travels back and he's talking to his younger self and he shows him. And even though we don't, we it's very little we see. The younger Farouk's like, oh. Well, no, we don't want to do that. That's bad. And it's like just his wisdom and his age, they, they travel the opposite journey. And I think the story of David is also the story of Farouk. And I, I think it, it felt sudden, but I think there's a lot there to, to dig into that character also. Um, yeah, so actually that touches upon a point. So my biggest problem kind of over the three seasons is why it is just suddenly kind of face turn and trusted Farouk, like, really hard. <laughs> uh, but I can move on from that because I feel like the overall message um, is about, like, the delusion, perception, and how people in certain senses, be, you know, change who they are. And everybody wants to live their own life how, you know, the best way they feel they can. Um, and so I just wanted to voice, like, a general agreement that, uh, you know, yes, the show has weak plot sometimes, yeah. and it has weak narratives, but, you know, I think because how strong the the character arcs are and how strong the message is, you, you we can overlook that. I think any other weaker show, I'd be like, this is a huge plot hole, yeah. like, this show sucks, I don't care about it anymore. But because everything else is so well done, I can forgive it and just move on because like the message is still there and so strong. To that point, one thing that I was thinking about with how in the world did they just turn so easily to Farouk, who clearly has done some heinous things. Mm-hmm. Yes. And maybe it's the thing, and it's, again, it's the thing that helps me it, to call David a villain is, is is so funny because I always empathize with him because it makes me feel as if they never fully trusted. They were always afraid of David in the first yeah, place. There's a lot because here. there is something to because from the moment they first meet him, all they're told is how powerful he is, and they, and and there is a sense of the interest in his power, but also the fear of what his power is. So I think when you are inherently afraid of someone, it is very easy to, to, to be to, to be corrupted against that person. The because lesser you, evil. Yeah, because you're already expecting that person to, that it, it, it's, it's, you know, to, you know, it's that Batman versus Superman philosophy where if there's a 1% mm-hmm. chance that this person can turn, we're all done and there's nothing we can do. So it kind of, so, and so again, which leads me to, to, to empathize with David because it's that sense of the people that he trusted, that he trusted in never trusted in him, which further pushed him to the dark side, so to speak. So it's like they had division three, you know, and, and the yeah. crew had as much, as much to do with his turn as he did. And I think that's one of the better things that they they did, especially in this last season, is the way that they presented the heroes and the villains. Uh, I, I was doing a podcast with a friend on on this last season of Legion, and in one of I think it was like episode three, I had everything in quotes. I'm like, okay, who is team villain? Who is team heroes? Because it's so unclear. It's and antagonists and protagonists, pure and, and simple. Yeah, exactly. So, I think the the whole thing is. You know, the redemption story is nice, but, you know, sometimes you want to see 
what makes somebody into a villain. So for me, like I enjoyed the redemption arc. It was nice or whatever. But because Legion is always from beginning, always had these surprising turns. I was kind of expecting at the end that, hey, you know, what is the straw that broke the camel's back that David's like, that's it, I'm done. Like, you know, you kind of see it a little bit where he's like killing everybody without any remorse because he's like, I'm going to fix it, you know, and I kind of expected at the end, maybe he find, figures out that he can't fix it. And so, like, you know, what gives him that moment where he's just like, I'm just going to accept that no, you know, I can't trust anyone. I can't, you know, have faith in anyone that's going to love me. So I'm just going to do what I have to do to live my best life. And so that's what I was kind of hoping and anticipating, you know, seeing a true development of a, a villain, you know, see that come out. I think the closest would probably be the end of season two when he just is like, nope, I'm done. I'm out of here. Peace out. And I think in some ways he is trying to fix it himself. He's going back in time to stop what happened to him. He's not really trusting anyone but Switch because she is a means to the end because unlike in the comics, he doesn't actually have a time travel personality. Um, um, I wanted to hear you all thoughts about this. I'm an anthropologist and believe it or not, I use Legion a lot in my classroom. <laughs> We're talking about exciting. perceptions and cultures and things of that nature. So I'm interested to see how you all would read some of the themes in Legion as applied to real life. So we can see things about stigmas with mental health. We can see, see things about consent. We can see things about people being afraid of power. So what would be some of the themes that you all can apply to the situations that we're living in? Um, so I guess for starters, that people are not heroes and villains. People are people. And we are multi-shaded, multivalent, and complicated. Um, and so the desire to kind of want to you know, create categories doesn't always work to our advantage. And sometimes when we do that, then we're reducing people. So I think that's something that, that's challenging. Um, but and everybody here has loved ones, family members, friends who have mental health challenges. And especially if there's an addiction issue, trust and re rebuilding trust is extremely difficult. And sometimes it takes superhuman strength. Um, but just realizing that it's not about perfect, a line that's often used is progress, not perfection. And just you know, trying to see people in, in that light. Fascinating question, Professor. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Webby, the show plays so much with reality. What is real, what is not. And I think the, the thing that applies most to, to just everyday reality for us is how much change is constant and, and we change in ways that, some, that, that are unexpected and that others may not like, that we may not even like. But change is based on your circumstances, is based on the people in your world and who you are, what your reality is, is not necessarily a constant. That is something that adapts to your experiences, to what happens in the world around us. And that is something that I thought was really fascinating how the show played with that, who we become and what, what leads to that. And it was Heidegger who said, all reality is historically useful fiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think for me, it's that thing that always comes back. As someone told me once, no matter who you are, you're a villain in somebody's story. Ooh. Yes. No matter what. And accepting that, that you can't save everyone, you can't always be perfect, but the fact that you can always try, even if everyone else is sort of against you, what you do and how you do it fundamentally matters. And I think Sid, of all people, like we've talked a lot about David, but she got to see that. She got to see in her life through all her choices that it does matter and that everything she does leads up to who she is. And even some horrible things, some villainous things made her a better person and stronger. And in the end, she chose to save baby David because she knew in her heart that you had to give them a chance. And that to me was beautiful. I think it really resonated and helped me accept certain things because there are some people that have to tell themselves every single day that they're a good person and they deserve to be loved because once you're abandoned once, it stays with you your whole life. Yeah, and if we could stay on Sid for a minute, I think what they did with her and giving her that second life and that whole, I mean, I guess, you know, pretty much a bottle episode of her and it, you know, it tied up, um, I am completely blanking on names, Oliver and yeah, Oliver, Oliver Melanie. Melanie. Thank you. Okay, yeah. So it tied up their storyline. It gave Sid kind of a second childhood and just a chance to see what another life could or would be like, you say, if she had two loving parents and she was able to be touched and, and all of these things. Exactly. It's a flower pot. Yeah. Yes. With, with Adrian Pimento from Brooklyn And from the league, anyways. I yeah. felt like I was supposed to take her lesson from that and apply it to what was going to happen to David after he fixed his world. You know, that was like laying out an example of. It could work, yeah. but you don't okay. know if no, it's going to work. Because it didn't work for the other girl, it didn't work yeah. for her older yeah. sister. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So right. it has right. to be uncertain because the whole show is uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful, I think. I think back in the back. Yes. Uh, on a lighter note, did anyone catch the uh, Easter egg from Deadpool 2? Uh, yes! That oh was a God. double Easter egg. Double Easter egg. It was. Which one? Uh, which, which the one? little Deadpool kid two? from Legion is eating cereal in Deadpool 2. In Baby the, uh, Holler. Professor Baby David. Interesting. School, so you know that he <laughs> had a good life. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, that's David. So he, <laughs> <laughs> he signs the Wheaties bottle. Oh, oh that's yeah, Okay. I'd like to find out um, what's your viewpoint on Lenny's journey because uh, she was the the opposite of Sid. I mean, she was ride or die with David up until the end. Lenny, what was your journey? Yeah, I was about to say. Oh, Lenny's journey. I got a lot of Lenny questions. Oh, Lenny is very, very tough. Um, I'm just going to tackle the, because this particular episode in season three really spoke to me uh, as a mother when we get to see her just experience everything, like her entire life, literally in the blink of an eye. Um, I mean, she watched her child grow up and, and die all, like, all, like, right in front of her, her, you know, her lover, wife, whatever, wife, I'm not sure, whatever they, they're her partner. It's complicated. It's, it's very legion. complicated. It's legion, yes. So, you know, her partner was taken away from her, and she experienced all of that loss, and wow. I were, what, to assume in a matter of 
minutes, hours, mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. But time is so fluid in it Legion. It, it might have felt is. like forever, and it might have been over in a blink. Yeah, and so I that particular episode, while I, I felt it did, it did a lot for her character to kind of, like you said, bring her, I guess, almost full circle. I don't know if it was quite a redemption story, but it did take her from almost more of like a one-note, a one one-dimensional seems to be doing Aubrey Plaza a complete disservice in how she portrayed the character, yeah. but it, she was always after the same thing. She, you know, she was David's... She was in the moment, constantly, enabler, I guess. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so to kind of give her that depth, um, I really appreciated that about her. Definitely the paradigm of toxic enmeshment. Um, yeah. We've all had that one friend, probably in college, who... <laughs> When you hung out, there was a lot of energy there. There was a lot of juice there. There was just nothing positive or good about it, but you were feeling something, and so that, and sometimes something is better than nothing. It's always better than nothing. But these are relationships that don't embolden yeah. you or help you in any way, shape, or form. And so I think that's kind of how it starts off um, in terms of how she's always just kind of around, you know, in his orbit. Um, Literally a part of him at one point. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think her ending was the greatest writing uh, of strength they could have given her because I think Lenny's history has shown her to be a follower, someone who basically um, would just go along with whatever was the, the lead in the room. And she, when, when David creates his commune, she's there to be his faithful servant. And I think for her to go get to a point where she takes so much ownership of herself and her own identity that she chooses to kill herself, I think that was an incredibly strong ending for her, just to make that choice, to no longer be his his servant, basically, but to say I have made my decision for myself and what I choose to do, and that's going to be to leave. And this is the best way I can leave you because when someone has has mind control, the only way you can do is to take your is to take your life in that in that particular instance for her. So it I didn't thought, work the first time. Yeah, so I, I just <laughs> thought from someone who at this end of season two went from yes, let's go, I'm ready, take me wherever you want to go. When he's escaping Division three to end to, to in season three go, I choose to leave you. I think that's a perfect character arc for her. In a borrowed body. That, yes. was, that was a bit creepy, I won't lie. Yeah. Because she wasn't just killing herself, she was, but was his sister still she there? Was she was yeah. Yeah. But the eyes were always there, and it's like this <laughs> mm -hmm. constant reminder that must have made their whole relationship just a wee bit toxic mm -hmm. at some point. I really liked that detail. Was uh, her, his sister in the comics? I don't know. Like, is the whole story a telling a retelling of the comic books, or is it's, it? No. no, no, it's very different. It's very. I think about the only. Some, I, granted, I didn't read any of the comics. The I, name, yeah, the, the name, the idea of who Legion is, his powers to a certain extent. Well, he had the multiple personality, but each personality in the comics had a different power. They were mutants. Yeah, yeah, they, yes. yeah, they were different mutants depending on who was control, and he. But he did actually go back in time and kill his own father. Yes. The loop that created the Age of Apocalypse, which 90s shout out, very good comic series. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so, like a little aside from the comics and kind of like how they adapted the theme, like the themes from Legion, um, they did like an excellent job really tackling the multiple like personalities um, with like in a cinematic way because it's very, very difficult to. Um, 
in the comics, a lot of the times they like did it with like different bubbles and different yeah. colors and different uh, text boxes and that sort of thing. So that was actually uh, when I first started watching in like the very first episodes. One of the things because I had a lot of experience reading the comics, I was very very concerned um, if Sid was real, if what yeah. he was going through was real, if the people were real. And to the end of the show, I was still asking myself, Are all of these people real? Which was super fun for me. What's going yeah, yeah. on? Um, I can never completely be sure, and well, I love that. To your point, though, at this point, we can say, no, they're not, because they've been erased from existence. Like, <laughs> they're literally they're not. not. Yeah, yeah, so they literally don't exist anymore. Like, so, for, so from a perspective, this was all just some fantasy of this baby that's now going to grow up in this entirely free and new and different life. So it's, again, it, it's, it's when you're talking about omega-level mutants and people who can shape time and space, it's just... Yeah, the question of real reality is fluid. So they they are no longer real now. And just as a brief aside, I thought, I thought the way they visualized the time travel with the doors and the hallway was just brilliant. Because yeah. 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 it could have been so silly. It could have just been really lazy just in terms of editing and quick takes. Mm -hmm. But they did something really, really thoughtful with it. Very simple, very clean. Mm -hmm. Which Oh, I think we have a question right, back right, right. there. If you well, just sort of on a related note. Um, Prior to uh, season three, I was re-watching seasons one and two, and my brother-in-law was with me, and he had not seen any of them. And mm. so after watching the pilot episode, he had two comments. One was, this is not what I expected from a comic book-based story. And the second was, I don't understand any of this, but I want to see more of it just because of the way it looks. <laughs> so my question is, what are, what are your thoughts on the extent to which the director's choice is about the visuals of the show were important in telling the story. I mean, I think the visuals and the cinematography were as important to the storytelling as the actors themselves. I mean, what they did with this show is incredibly brilliant. It really is truly like a, a work of art. And I think that's another aspect that makes it rewatchable. Like, I mean, aside from just, you get something, you'll get something different out of it every time you go back. But I think just like the beauty of watching the whole story unfold again is is something that I, I know I will enjoy for years to come. The colors, that's what I always remember. Like I said, I'm sorry I'm red today, but I'm not the Shadow King. Um, but I found myself re-watching to go, okay, everything's safe because it's blue. When it's blue, it's happy. And then you'd start seeing the yellow and then it would go red. And every time things change to red, I would actually start, my heart would race because they have you trained. Even if you don't notice it, you know, they train you over and over. Even like when Lenny's eyes are blue, that's the good, well, the better Lenny. And it's it's beautiful how they they train you. You are completely led and, and they can get a reaction out of you just by changing the lighting. And that that's pretty awesome for a TV show. One of the most brilliant character introductions I think I've ever seen in a show is how they introduce Switch. Because oh, uh, in, yeah. in, in, in mm. the first episode when she's introduced, if you look at the world around her, it's very muted. Yes. And then the clothes she yes, puts so on are so bright and vibrant. And it just it's just totally making the point she is not in this world. That she is in yeah. her own thing. That there's something about this girl that's special. And it's like little, and to the, color, the way her headphones change colors, yeah. the respective scenes, little details like that are key. In the world, but not of the world. Mm -hmm. And again, it's the, the, the marriage of like the sets are definitely with a mid-century aesthetic, 
But again, with that infusion of, of modern art and the cinematography and the special effects, again, it's, it's like going to, what's the museum in downtown LA? Um, it's free. Uh, the, the, it's like going to a modern art museum, like every time. No, that's in New York. Yeah, sorry, East Coaster here. Uh, I can tell you. Uh, but anyways, it's, it's, you, you feel like you're in a gallery. Yeah. Following up on that, I think you know it's indisputable. I think the cinematography, some of the acting performances, but this show has basically no award level notice. Even though the performances and stuff are up there, is do you think it's just because all of us sit there and go, well, "I don't really know what's happening." Exactly. Oh, but yeah. I'm gonna, <laughs> it's like Amy voters and Golden Globes. They're just going. The industry has no concept of creativity. Yeah. When I was surprised with I, when, when Rami Malek won for Mr. Robot, oh, that shocked oh. me because I'm like. They can watch this show because I mean, they're Mr. Robot gets way off into the stuff. Oh, it too. goes way off into the weeds. Yeah. I just, I Dan Stevens deserve a lot of folks deserve notice. And I, I was shocked in the first season. I was shocked. Aubrey Plaza did not get any real acclaim. Yeah, I just she, wonder she why. She did get is. the MTV uh, best villain. She did get nominated did. for that. <laughs> yeah. I was cheering. I voted. I won't lie. <laughs> I think just genre TV in general, just, yeah. I don't know if it's a stigma per se, but it's not as well viewed. It's a very specific yeah. fandom, and you're, I, I was shocked when, when Rami won and ecstatic when he won, because I think that's one of the closer things that we're going to get for, you know, a quote like genre TV show. Um, I know it's not really a superhero show, but they want the Americans also, uh, they've received some good critical acclaim for a, another FX show. FX, I think, just historically they have like lower ratings, but they're able, so what they're able to pull off and create with their storytelling, their acting, just everything, it's always masterful to me. But more pragmatically, awards only happen when the studio gets behind it. And they didn't put, there's a whole cottage industry and the industry of just people who are moving PR people just to get things nominated. And Fox just didn't resource it. And so they didn't put anything in it on that front, and so they didn't get anything out of it. Which is true to what Fox has done with a lot of right. properties. So, did you have a comment? Oh, you're talking to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I was wondering what you thought. Like, uh, for me, like growing up in the '80s, you know, everything was sort of binary in terms of black and white, of good and evil. You know, everything was clearly defined when you were in pop culture. And then, being a teacher, as dealing with millennials, it seemed like they were more attracted to these grayer concepts. Whereas I feel like this show sort of transcended even that. Like it, it went beyond black and white, beyond gray to some other place, which, yeah. which is what I was, which I appreciated. But I was wondering what you thought that might be something post, um, I guess, post morality almost in a way. It's almost post reality at this point. It's, it's all what you perceive. Like they give up any semblance of. You can't judge people on the show because as soon as you think you know them, they've changed. And I think that's kind of more like real life. You might have one impression and it's completely wrong because how much do you really know anyone? So, oh, we got the anthropology back. That made me happy. Um, and I think we have a question up front, unless you have another comment. Well, I was gonna say, I think I see a lot of the prisoner's DNA in this and part of me, a number of times when I've watched it, I kind of said, what would the prisoner have looked like if Patrick McGowan had this team back then? Wow. Yeah. Uh, it would have been just beyond. And so I think it's trippy for its own sake, and I think it's part of the journey, is that it's not meant to be a linear binary story. 
I don't think that was ever the intention. And so it's just a, what's, what did Jimi Hendrix say? Pardon me, when I kissed this guy. Yeah. It's just come on this trip with us and see where it goes. One of the things that I love the most about the whole Legion story was Farouk. Mm -hmm. Because when he was first introduced, you could just see the evil that he was. But in, like, in, I've said a few times here today that, you know, suddenly, you know, all of David's friends were for Farouk. But if you think about the plot and how it was written, like Farouk slowly and steadily throughout the mm -hmm. seasons planted seeds in all of his friends that eventually had them to believe, okay, Farouk is the lesser of the evils. Oh, and yeah. I really appreciated that whole arc. That's from good that villain. standpoint. That, that's very good villainy. Yeah. Like, and he can, yeah. like, control minds. So there he might can. have been some subtext that it was implied that maybe his powers were in play a bit, too. I was convinced down until the end that he had a bigger play and Me that too. he yes. was still mm -hmm. the true mm -hmm. villain. Yeah. I was shocked by his redemption, to say the least. Yeah. Well, and also, let's, let's, let's also look at the other side where the only reason maybe they turned to Baruch was to stop David. And yes. maybe once they stopped David, they were going to stop then, we, then now we got to deal with this other monster in the room. So right. even e it. so even the use of Baruch was maybe just for a limited time. Yeah, so, one. yeah so yeah. yeah so well, is, also, it, doesn't he like when he's captive, he speaks to the rat or the mouse or whatever that comes and it, and, mm -hmm. and oh, I yeah. interpreted that as he sent that to go brainwash everybody else. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, he's standing there and they're going to arrest David. But then as the rest of the show comes, you're like, oh, no, he's just good. Yeah. <laughs> just, Maybe it suited him to play But there was that scene, and I know it was in the episode where FX bordered suddenly yeah. an 11th episode that season, yes. right before uh -huh. this, and that was weird. And so I don't, you know, there's some things that were in that you're like, well, did he just, did, did Holly have to create something real quick and throw it out there because they asked for an extra episode? But there was a scene where uh -huh. it was implied that he was using that rat or mouse or whatever to go help get himself free. And that, that kind of tied. It never came the, back to it. Kind of tied into the scenes with the chicken eggs, which was so yeah. powerful. Yeah. That yeah. yeah. the delusion starts like any other day. That whole thing. Blew with my John Hamm narrating yeah. it, that was oh, yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, that was great. That actor that played Baruch was just so damn charming. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was he wanted, that even though you knew he was a villain at the time, you wanted him to get his body back. He was like, <laughs> and he was recast yeah, was like almost like, at the end of season how two. confusing yes. for me. I, I don't know. They had to refilm a bunch of stuff. Well, and, and to your point, that's what makes complexities and grayer areas so much more fascinating for us to watch and for actors to portray and for us to see in our characters because the fact that Farouk had so many sides that he could be villainous but also be so charming and debonair and so intelligent and so cultured it's like you could never fully go against him because you were so brought in by him and also yeah. because of the charm you never he was you never quite knew what what his angle was you never quite knew if he was really out to get you or if he was trying to help you. And and to the and, and I think that's why the complexities that we play with in like art today is so much more fun to consume because it's never not having it be one thing is so much more fun and intriguing to watch. So I think like a really cool contrast between David and Farouk is like David, um, a lot of the things that you couldn't really trust was because you were wondering if it was like a delusion or if it was just not reality, if it was something completely in his head or not. Um, and I feel like with Farouk, like as you said, like speaking off of that point, um, 
it was very um, traditional villainy, in my opinion, with like the debonair charm. He's so suave. Um, and I just really like that contrast between you kind of had um, something in which you just, in both of them, you really didn't know what was going on and you couldn't really trust them. And that kind of speaks to the overall theme of trust in the show. And I thought it was really cool how that was reflected specifically in just their character design. And I was wondering if you guys had like any other points to make on like that specific um, overarching theme of trust and like how you feel that the characters were designed with that theme in mind. But Switch trusted David. Yeah. And not Farouk, which was a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, she actually stayed with him. And I kept wondering if she was going to clue in eventually, like kind of realize that, I mean, I don't think he was intentionally like lying or misleading, but I do think he was manipulating to still get, like to achieve like his end. So I think he was kind of like using trust in the same way. Well, maybe not in the same way, because trust was used against him very much at the end of season two, season two right? Okay, I get kind yeah. of confused the time, but, um, and I think the biggest thing with trust comes down to Sid. Yeah. I think her entire character really embodies that theme down to um, her tattoos, the me first tattoos, um, which we had a little bit of discussion on our podcast about whether that was kind of like a, a um, homage or like kind of like a continuing of like the Me Too movement. And it did kind of tie in with her character and how all through season one, she was so devoted to David and it was him first. And so now she's kind of been able to transition to put herself first, but her but her trust has kind of, it kind of came at a cost. It came at a cost of her, of her trust in not only him, but in others as well, I feel. What I love that this show looks at is, in addition to trust, the betrayal of trust and how it changes you. Yeah. How Sydney's, uh, how her betrayal of trust uh, from when David assaulted her and David's betrust and and uh, Sid turning against him. It's both of those two moments of betrayal turn those characters in very distinct ways, and I think that is so reflective on, on real world stuff. It's just like what happens to us when the people we trust the most betray us or or, uh, or don't live up to that trust. And that is the thing that I think is the most powerful and what affects us moving forward and how we see things, who we trust next, how far do we trust moving forward. And that connection to our reality is was, was really impactful. And I think, oh, Zach, there was a comment. Did you, yeah. Uh, I was just saying, like, on the terms of, like, trust and everything, I feel like with what, especially Noah Hawley said about the first season, inconsistency seems to be really, like, a big theme on how there are things that pull your attention away from the main point. Like, so many things that make you think, oh, they're not real. Oh, this is, like, something that couldn't be real. But at the end, it doesn't matter. There's, like, a main story being told, and they're just trying to pull you away. Because he said, with the first season especially, he was trying to display what mental illness feels like and how you can't really be sure and you're constantly pulled away from what's the main focus. I just felt like that was always a big theme of the show. I was like, the inconsistency to me, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how like, Sid, well, you didn't know if she was real, you would see like, yeah. a scene where her legs weren't in the scene where she walked in the room. Yeah. yeah. But then they just mm. you guess all the time. I don't know if this is real or not. Well, they made a point to switch him from having the traditional like dissociative personality disorder to giving him schizophrenia in the show to really highlight he couldn't trust anything ever and it's 
interesting as the viewer to have it. And sometimes it really is. It's, it's complete distraction. Like all of season two, it was a distraction. The narrator is literally telling you exactly what's going to happen, but you can't believe it until the end. And that the villain, it's really David to say, and you know, it's not the Shadow King they're talking about. They're, they're actually describing David the whole time. And I thought that was, that was a beautiful misdirect in an otherwise kind of complicated season. I wanted you all to speak about how real talk, how do you feel about Sid as a character? Because for me, Sid is problematic, but because of what happened to her at the end of the second season, people are looking away from some of Sid's flaws. Like the whole season, love is going to save us. We need love to save us. That was her whole narrative. And then when the moment came for her to trust in her love for David, she trusted Farouk instead and started to believe what Farouk was telling her about who David was. If you really love someone, and if you're really trying to save your love, you're going to have faith in that person as opposed to some random person coming telling you about somebody that you love. So just from season one to season three, honest opinions about some of the flaws as well as the good things about Sid. Because I always hear her held up in a way that I don't necessarily agree that about her. Oh, Sid is complicated. She is so complicated. I had, I think, not really like a love-hate relationship with this character, but just a very complicated one because, you know, all throughout season one, like I said, she was David's biggest cheerleader. Love will find a way. I believe in you. I will always stand by you. And then by the end of, is it the end of season two? Yeah, it's during season two. Yes, so she kind of gets corrupted by herself, but then corrupted by the Shadow King. I'm remembering that. I did not do a rewatch, right? Yeah, no, it's it's fine. (laughs) Sorry, just thinking out loud. Um, And so she, I I almost felt like we, it, it was weird because when David got betrayed, I empathized more with David, I feel, than I necessarily empathize with her, which as a woman and the way in which they brought about her betrayal, it, made, it was very complicated for me. It was a disturbing moment to be a woman watching that show, I won't lie. Yeah, it, it was very complicated because I'm like, I don't condone what just happened, but I feel like you're also betraying David, who I've up to this point become very invested in and seeing if he'll truly get that redemption, if he'll truly become, you know, the hero or if he's gonna, you know, switch sides or whatever. So I I appreciate what they did with her in season three. And I think especially um, towards the end, I, for me, she did come back around and and get a little bit of that redemption, but she was, she was very, very flawed in a lot of ways. And she almost, this is gonna probably sound way worse than I intended to sound, but she would, Put, continually put herself in kind of like the same situations over and over again in a way. Well, I think part of it was she, in the beginning, she was just completely infatuated. She wasn't, I don't know if she was in love so much as just in the idea of love. And she had to let that go and she had to get hurt. And I think at the end, when she finally chooses to let him have a good life and save him, that's the first real moment of love <coughs> that I see. And I, I liked that whole arc. I liked that she wasn't perfect. You want to you want to jump in on that? Do you mind? 
No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a literature professor. I've uh, oh, a lot of teachers. Uh, I see this show as a narrative about narratives. And yeah. um, how how much, how comfortable it is. So what do we want from narratives? We want them to take the real world and order them so that they make sense. And that's what's pleasurable about them. Well, this narrative refuses to do that most of the time. So but in the way that it does that is to is to give is to give you these these narratives that you think you recognize that you think you can settle into. And love will find a way is one of the big ones. We yeah. love that one. We love that trope. And I think I love that, you know, we see her both of them really, David and Sid both, trying to make that true. It's trying so hard to make that true. And, you know, sister has to give it up, like you said. And um, the fact is that if you believe in narratives like that, if you believe in your life that love will always find a way and the only reason, the only way to be a really good person is to always stick by your partner no matter what, then you, what can happen is you end up getting abused. Yeah. And um, <coughs> I don't think she should stay with him because he's not good for her. Yeah, yeah. That, that so, really sums it up. <laughs> I mean, well, you can... For me, the arc was, yeah. it starts off with an adolescent love, but it ends with an adult choice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because love takes many forms. And we love the adolescent, the, the emotional part, but true love is, is a choice, not a feeling. And we're almost there too. Uh, but, but, yeah. uh, quick point to that. And also to the point we've made several times before, the, uh, the, the, the untrusting narr narrator, it's like, it's hard for this, sense of true love to exist between two people who are broken, yeah. Sid and David both. So it's kind of like the unreliable narrator of what love is between two people like that is always going to be very skewed because where are, where are they coming from in regards to what love is and what this love can be between the two of them also kind of helped me believe in the journey that Sid took into when she went from love will find a way to being a shotgun wielding shooting him in the back person by season three that made sense to me because I'm like well where this person comes from her idea of what love is going to be is not going to is going to be very skewed anyway. So I, I was able to take that right with her a little bit easier. Than that. Folks, I hate to uh, tell you this, but we are at time. Thank you very much for participating, and let's thank thanks our guests. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mr. Andy Coffin's gone wrestling.